Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I am O'Brien McMahon, and this is People Business. Every business is in some way a people business. From Silicon Valley to the restaurant down the street, every business relies on groups of people working together toward a common cause. That's no easy task. While the world around us has evolved into a high-tech, interdependent matrix, our individual software is largely the same as it was 10,000 years ago. We are social, emotional animals balancing a need to fit in with a desire to stand out. Bring us together in large groups, put money on the line, and anything could happen. This is a show where current and aspiring business leaders can understand the people dynamics at play in their organizations and learn skills and techniques to improve their chances of long-term business success. This week, I'm speaking with Aaron Deal, founder and CEO of Improve It. Empirical evidence has shown that improvisational training has the ability to improve an employee's trust, teamwork, communication, presentation skills, and creative problem solving. No one knows that better than Aaron, a former experiential marketer and recruiting professional, as well as veteran improviser with some of the top improv training programs in Chicago, places like the Second City, IO Theater, and the Annoyance Theater. Aaron's company, Improve It, conducts workshops across the country leveraging improvisational techniques to improve employee soft skills in corporate settings. She has worked with clients such as United Airlines, PepsiCo, Deloitte, Motorola, Walgreens, and the Obama Foundation and is a regular speaker at Chicago Sherm, Hermac, and Disrupt HR, among others. She has a brand new podcast of her own called The Failed It Podcast, where she discusses how you have to fail to improve. Erin is a great friend of mine, incredibly knowledgeable when it comes to development, when it comes to everything improv, and I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. So without further ado, here is Erin Deal. Let's go live here in three, two, one. And there we go. Let's get started. Here we are. So uh, we are going to talk today about how to get creative in a meaningful way, communicating virtually, uh, managing a small business through a pandemic. And as I said before, we got started. You're the improviser, so I imagine we'll cover a, a number of different topics here. We might jump around. You never know. But yeah, I'm ready for it. People business. Let's I'm do fairly it. confident we'll jump around. I know you well enough to know that we'll probably uh, go all over the place. So. Um, to kick things off, I, w- I was thinking about how would be the best way to kick this off, just to sort of describe you and get you talking about improv. And I only had to look back about three days because we're moving to a new house that is in your neighborhood right down the street. And we were over there visiting the other day, getting everything set up, getting ready for our move. And there was a knock on the door. And when we opened it, it was you and your husband and your young son standing socially distance away with a sign welcoming us to the neighborhood playing Mr. Rogers, won't you be my neighbor? That's right. That is correct. That was us. Yeah. Not our clones. That was us. Yeah. And I imagine that didn't take a whole lot of effort for you to think that one up, right? I mean, you <laughs> that's just how you live your life day to day. I wish you thought it was a lot of effort because I've your wife, Caitlin, is probably one of no, she is the most thoughtful human being on the planet. And I was like, how do we show up for them? Like Caitlin and O'Brien would show up for us. And I did. I thought of it on the spot. I'm not going to lie to you. As noted, your sign was on a computerized sheet of paper with an highlighter marker. Um, and the song choice 
came to mind, but I, I, I wish you thought that I spent hours on it. Well, the, uh, the song speaks for itself. I think, okay. I think the thing about you is that you don't have to think about it for hours, okay. right? That's okay. that sort of stuff just comes to you. So, so you are, uh, how do you describe who you are and what you do? Well, so many, so many variations, but I'll describe for people business. I'll give you the business part. <laughs> so I am the founder of a company called Improve It, and we do professional development training. We use improvisational comedy to train on soft skills. So anything from effective communication, team building, presentation skills, um, through leadership, we do all of those usually in person. Um, we'll talk about this, but we have had a pivot in the past month, um, which was not a part of the business plan, but we are now also online. And just to be clear, we're recording this four and a half weeks yes. into stay at home quarantine with the coronavirus situation. So uh, every business has had to adapt. Yeah, for sure. And it's, I mean, it's insane. Literally so many, so many thoughts around that. But um, yeah, that's what we do. And we, our job really is to just get people comfortable with the uncomfortable. If we can get people to just break down barriers and be their true selves at work, we feel like that's when people really open up to learning. And then if they can really do that, then that's when we grow professionally and we grow as individuals is when we break down those barriers and we allow ourselves to just be who we are and play. So that's really what it is. I play pretend for a living with adults. There you go. People That's pay it. you to come in and play pretend with their people. That's it. That's a business card right there. There you go. So, yeah. so thinking about that, like what is the business case for what you do? So people, so you mean what is, why would somebody want to hire us essentially? What is yeah, the I mean, pain killer that we do, that we help with? Absolutely. Yeah. Like, you know, if I'm, a training and development manager, and I'm thinking about where I'm going to allocate my money, you know, there are certain skills that my people need, and I want to help them build those skills so that we can produce widgets, sell more service, whatever the case might be, so that we can have revenue, so that we can grow, we can hire more people and perpetuate the business on and on. Mm -hmm. Having fun often doesn't come into that equation. So what what's the business case? You know, what's the ROI? Like, how are you positioning improv as a as a business skill. Sure. First of all, I love the word widgets. So I just want to use widgets as many times <laughs> as possible in this conversation. So I like to think of us, a lot of times people look at us as a vitamin. You don't necessarily need us for a supplement, but I think we are actually a painkiller. And I'll tell you why, especially going through what we're going through right now there is going to be so much uncertainty when we go back to the office. Morale is going to be very low or it could be high. Who knows? People may love this, right? But I, a lot of times I think we kind of get placed in this category as a nice to have when if you actually invest in your people and you put time, effort, energy, and money truly into making them their best selves professionally, people remember that. So we like to say we don't measure the ROI. We, rem we measure the ROO, the return on an objective. So we get super clear on whether a client has come to us or we have found them in a variety of ways. Uh, we get to understand their culture. 
we truly take that time to understand what their challenges are. So it could be, for example, two teams have merged together and they need to learn how to communicate. It could be that you're coming back from this quarantine and you had to lay off a lot of people. Team morale is low. We need to get some of the people who are still here into leadership roles. How do we transition them into leadership roles and how do we do that effectively? So we get super clear on the objective. All of our offerings have a very clear objective with them. And so we make sure from a client perspective and from a participant perspective, we measure their outcomes. So we do that through surveys. We do that through behavioral change if we're working with a client over time. So it really just depends on the specific need of the organization or the person coming to us. And usually it's a leader of a team um, in some capacity what their objective is, and then how we measure that is through behavioral change over time, and then also just making sure that we have a clear, concrete outcome and, and um, sort of goal set for that, that particular pr program or need or objective. And so we also, people used to ask us, well, we've had this really great in-person session. What happens after you leave? So we built e-learning courses in conjunction with every single program that we do. So every program is two hours in length. Sometimes we do half days. Um, we used to do full days, but for improv, honestly, you will fall down. It's like a hamster wheel and you just like face plant at the end of the day if you do eight hours of improv. Um, and so what we found is this e-learning course helps reinforce what we've talked about in the workshops and then it adds additional learning. So that's a three-week course that we offer after every two-hour in-person uh, session. So for us, it's just getting like really clear on what is the pain point, what is the challenge of this group, making sure we cover that through the workshop and then reinforce it after, we're, after we've left. Um, and so... We have so many great clients. We have really long lasting relationships with huge brands. And then we also work with mid and small size organizations too. So we, we exist because we are there for the individual teams within organizations with specific problems. And so it does not have to be this huge company. It can be a small team of people, but we are there to use improv as the teaching mechanism to help people talk about it. We're a conversation starter. And then if we get enough time with an organization, we help change the conversation. I, I love a couple of things there and I want to dive into those, but I want to go like, let's go back first. Cause we're talking, we just kind of jumped right in, talked about improv, talked about improve it, talked about what you do. Like what is improv? Mm -hmm. I can actually give you the definition that's in Wikipedia. Would you like it? I, I would love it. Okay, improvisation is the practice of acting, singing, talking, and reacting, of making and creating in the moment in response to one's immediate environment and inner feelings. That is a Wikipedia definition. What, but what I will is your, tell you what, what's your yeah. definition? Yeah. So I will say improvisation is being present in the moment, reacting in an authentic way, and using what is said to fuel your next piece of conversation. It's, it's reactive play. It's not thinking about what you're gonna say before you say it. It's truly being present in the moment and reacting to what has just been said. Which seems like it would be an easy thing to do, but I've taken improv A 
uh, at the second city and it is quite challenging to get, because mm-hmm. you really have to be out of your head, right? Like you really have to be present in the moment, reacting to the people around you. And so much of it, so much of your own time, you want, you wind up realizing is spent like thinking about the next thing that you're going to do or the next thing that you're going to say, or how stupid that thing might sound. And then you're self editing before you even have a chance to say it. And you're not listening to the thing that the person is saying uh, across from you. That is 100% correct. We like to say it's listening to understand versus listening to respond. So exactly Which what is, you just said. I mean, that is listening, right? I mean, that's the yeah. skill of listening is listening to understand so that you can then respond in the most meaningful way or the most appropriate way. Exactly. So what we just, what you just said, we do an activity called last word response. So we would listen to, I would just listen to the very last word of your sentence. And then that word would be the first word of my sentence. So your last word was way. So I would have to start my sentence with the word way. And we do that activity because first and foremost, we don't want you to think ahead. We want you to listen to the very end. And then when you listen at the very end, that's when you can respond. But that's exactly what you talked about being in your head. That's how I, when I first started improv training, I was 100% in my head the whole time. I went through college and high school, you know, my friends were like, you should do comedy, you know? So when you have friends that say that, and I did do stuff in high school and in college, but you're not, improv isn't about being the funniest person in the room. Some of the best improvisers are the most introverted people you will ever meet and they become alive on stage and it's because they're observant that they're so great because it's the truth and the reaction that makes it funny. So it's not getting on stage and telling a funny joke. It's getting on stage, being fully present and listening to what your scene partner says in order to create what you want to say next. So I was starting out, like, just like you said, level A, I was the girl at the front of the room telling a fart joke and it wasn't funny. You know, can I say fart joke on people business? You can say whatever you want. Fart jokes don't sell. They don't. And that's the thing. People, people know when you're trying. And so it's improv is why it's so relatable for business is that every single thing I just mentioned makes up the great, every great trait of a great improviser is the trait of somebody who's a great person, a great leader, a great communicator. So it's such a natural progression. And truly for me, it changed my life. So, so how did, well, before I go on, so the the instructor that we had in level A, uh, I I think he called it the flaming cancer baby. He said, nobody Mm -hmm. likes the flaming cancer baby. And it's like, Everybody feels like when they get into a, a space where they have to be funny, they wind up going all the way to the extreme, right? They make it the craziest thing that you could possibly make it. And that stuff isn't really that funny, at least not after you say it the first time. Right. right? It, it's just that natural reaction that really is the stuff that gives you that like grab your stomach, you know, bend over, can't stop laughing. So, totally. It, and if you... Right. And if you're watching an improv show as an audience member, you know, well, if you're watching a really good show, what makes you laugh is the reaction of somebody reacting to the person before them. Or it's not somebody necessarily 
just saying a one-liner. It's because they're using, the person before them has said a line and then they've said a line. So that's yes and, what we call yes and. But they have used their language to build up to this really funny moment. And it's all being set up by their scene members. So that's just like the same traits of an organization. Everybody adds to the organization. So when you have these successes, it's because everybody has essentially yes and at each other to get to that point. So it's a really, there's just so much um, theory and improv. People look at it and it's just, you know, oh, it's silly. It's playing pretend as an adult. There's so much effort and form and hours of practice. And to be honest, I don't consider myself that great of an improviser. If I'm being honest, I'm good, but I'm not the people who work at improve it. They are great. Like they are amazing. Um, I'm just really good at talking. So <laughs> I won't disagree with you. Um, thank you. Thank you. So, I mean, it's, it's interesting too, because, so that's another principle that I think about a lot. You know, you don't think of improv in the military often in the same sentence, but, um, I'm a big fan of Jocko Willink who wrote extreme ownership, uh, the dichotomy of leadership. And he's written another book, uh, discipline equals freedom. And that's sort of a mantra that he has, which is the more disciplined you can be actually the more freedom you create for yourself. And that, mm. that's something that I think people don't think about when they think about something really lighthearted, like improv where there really are rules, you know, that there are rules that you have to follow. And the more that you follow those rules, the freer you are within the boundaries of those rules to then create and innovate and really make something amazing. Mm -hmm. And I think mm -hmm. that, that that translates with companies too, right? Like the bigger free for all it is, the more you got to run around and be worried about is everything getting done right? You know, are the widgets getting assembled right? Widgets. Widgets, all day widgets. Uh, widgets. But if you actually build some business process, if you build some order, right? If you build some discipline, some business discipline, then you can have a bunch of freedom to innovate within that discipline and your business can really take off, right? Like then, then you can come up with the next line that you would never have thought of if you were trying to, you know, really be in your head thinking about what you should do next. Totally. I mean, I don't know if that rant makes sense, but that's. No, that makes total sense. I think of it like you, we have sons who are similar in age, right? Yeah. They thrive in a schedule, right? I know some friends and I'm taking this a little far, but I think that that's part of it is like in improv, there are rules, there are structures, there, there are rules, there are structures within organizations. People thrive from the moment they are born with structure. And then I think a lot of times, again, what you said is very relevant because in improv, people think that it's just a free for all. It's definitely not. But I think when organizations really thrive is when there's clear structure, but there's freedom within that structure to really let themselves be their true authentic selves and show up as who they are. So when you yes and, we call this, which I can explain further, but in improv, yes and is all about hearing an idea and then adding to that idea. So it's suspending judgment. It's postponing, it's postponing judgment. That's a tongue twister. Um, and it's allowing for people to feel heard. So that's really what I think is great about improv and business is within the structure of an organization, 
there's these rules and there's these set processes, but within there, you give people freedom to come up with ideas and be a part of the process building. They feel so much more empowered than they would if they were just being told what to do. So it's, it's, it's just a relevant tool, I think, if we think about it, since birth, we've wanted to, we've had structure and it, it helps us exist and it helps us grow. And that's the same within organizations. Give the structure, allow people to flourish within that structure and really just use this methodology of yes and to help people want to show up. And when they want to show up, that's when productivity rises and the organization itself thrives. Yeah. And it, it really is. I know I mentioned the dichotomy of leadership before. It really is a dichotomy, right? It's a balance between those two forces. And I think you get some really creative people who are like, oh no, I just, you got to let me go. This is how I work best. I, you know, no structure. And they push back on that. And then you get on the other side, you get, you know, buttoned up business people who are, you know, all about process, all about discipline. And they just manage everything down to the second, right? Or to the penny, and there's no flexibility. They, they don't leave any room for flexibility. And the reality is totally. that success happens in the middle, right? Where you create enough structure so that the play in the middle is where the magic can happen. Yeah, right? 100%. And I'll tell you my favorite thing, one of my favorite things that you just said was watching. It Well, is watching, not was. I haven't done it in a month, so is watching. <laughs> um a person who you just mentioned, a very buttoned up, you know, strict, straight-laced business person who thinks this is not for them, walk into a workshop, and then to watch literally their barriers just continuously. It takes them a while. It takes those people a little bit longer. But because I always say improv is like a party. You go to a party, you watch a group having a great time and you're choosing to sit on the outside. That's your choice, but you're watching those people having a good time and you're, you want to join in in that fun, right? That's what an improv workshop really is. And when people who aren't necessarily wanting to be a part of that kind of ostracize themselves, these people who are having fun notice. And then eventually this person is like, they're having a great time. Why am I doing this to myself? And then they join in and they walk out this completely different group. So it's really great when leaders join workshops and joins events like this with their teams because people see, it puts everybody on the same playing field and it really transforms the way I think that the team looks at the leader and even the leader looks at their team. So it's just, it's a magical teaching tool. That is why I love it. So let, let's extrapolate that out a little bit because not everybody's going to hire, improve it. They should, right? But not everybody's yeah, going to. Yeah, why not? Right. <laughs> so their loss. <laughs> <laughs> so um, how do how do people do this on their own, right? Because let's say they even do an improve it workshop, but then they have to go back and interact with other leaders from other teams who maybe weren't in the workshop and they're trying to use some of these principles. But, you know, we've all been in a room where maybe a small group or, or an individual has a bunch of great ideas and the majority of the people aren't ready for that change and they get stifled and, you know, eventually it just goes back to the way things always work. Mm -hmm. So the, the way you just described it is we're going to isolate the people who are standing, who maybe don't want to, play ball here who don't want to improvise 
and we're going to create such a fun environment that they want to join in. But that's really hard to create in an organization where that hasn't been an accepted practice for a long period of time. And so maybe you get one or two leaders who want to do it. How can they, or, or is there anything that they can do to start to get those people to be thinking a little bit differently? Or, or do mm -hmm. you just have to like steamroll them and this is the way I'm going to be right now and take it or leave it? Yeah. Great question. I want to be clear about one thing too. So we, in a workshop, we have everybody on stand in a large circle, you know, everybody is a part of this together, right? So no one throughout the session is at all like sitting in a different space. Everybody, the, the way that they're set up, it's, it's meant. So everybody is a part of this journey together. There's no technology, no phones. Um, and so we do a lot of things standing. So we kind of in a way, force conversation um, and eye contact and interaction, right? So a lot of times, just like I mentioned with those e-learning courses, people, when they walk away, they have this, it's a feeling. We create a feeling and I, it's very hard to describe it. It's very hard to show it over video. You just have to feel it. And what it is, it's a feeling of inclusivity. It's a feeling like everybody belongs. It's a positive environment. And so as a leader, if you're in this workshop and then you go back to your team and the other people weren't a part of this, I always say it starts with you. So you can, we all have people in organizations or know people who may be the no people, the naysayers, if you will, the, the Debbie Downers, the fun vacuums, uh, the fun squashers, all those people. Um, so as a leader, I think it's up to you to put the energy out to the other leaders in your organization or the other teams that you are a part of. I, don't, I shouldn't say other teams, just the other people in your organization. And then I always say it's a mirror effect. So what you put out is the energy that you will most likely get back. So if you're putting out negative energy and you are the naysayer when somebody comes to you with an idea, you better believe that most likely when you go to them with an idea, you're going to get that same response back. However, if you start to shift, there is an energy shift with positivity. And you notice with positive people, right? Like if you think of positive people, you know, your wife is a very positive human being. I love Caitlin. Love you, Caitlin. Um, so people want to be around her because she's positive, right? But think about people that you may know who may have a more negative connotation. The reason people don't want to be around them is because that's the energy they're putting out. So as a leader, it starts with you and then it's a domino effect and it's showing up every single day, remembering how you want to be treated and putting that out. It's a very simple concept, but it's, it's easier said than done. A lot of times we just forget. So improv is a reminder of that and it puts you in those scenarios. We do so many activities where you feel what it feels like to put out good energy and receive that back. And we also do some activities where you put out negative energy and you feel that negative energy back. So remembering those feelings when you put out that negative energy and how it felt to get to receive that is so important. And that's, that's how, how, that is how we use improv is to showcase what we want leaders to feel, do, and be. That's it right there. I love that. I, uh, I think about that a lot, actually, with the, the energy that I'm 
putting out, right? I'm a big fan of stoic philosophy and the premise that the only thing that we can control are our, our own thoughts and actions and everything mm -hmm. else is outside of our control. And that combined with the premise that attitude is contagious, I think can be very powerful when you harness it the right way. And it can be very dangerous when you aren't paying attention to it and let it control you. And I think that that's a good point because oftentimes you get the excited person, you know, who's got a lot of energy around something and they go into an environment that's maybe a little more static, a little more status quo. And they, you know, run really hard, really hard, really hard, but they beat their head against the wall over and over and over again. And then eventually they just like fizzle out and they just hear, they keep hearing no, and it, it doesn't work for them. And they let themselves fairly quickly take on the attitude of those other people. And then you see them a couple of years later and they're negative and hate life and hate their job. And they're talking the way that those people talk. It goes, you know, it's the reason that people say you are the average of your five the people that you hang out with the most, right? Or your mm -hmm. five closest friends, however, whatever that saying is. Um, it's because behavior and attitude is contagious. And so if you know that, even if you're in a negative environment, if you know that and you can keep that in the back of your mind the whole time and be conscious, then you can choose how you can respond and you can actually start very slowly, but you can start to change how the people around you start to behave. Right. hundred percent. That's it. That is 100% it. And I think simple. that's it's that simple. It's just everybody take improv, okay? Um, yeah. I will say it's it goes back to that golden rule of treat people how you want to be treated. It's as adults and in business, a lot of times I think we forget that simple concept and we think in order to get ahead, we have to act a certain way. And I always tell people, think about the most influential boss that you've ever had. And why were they the most influential boss? And I guarantee you, it's not because they were, uh, you know, dictating what you did, telling you how to live your life, making it a negative place. It's because they encouraged you, supported you, and wanted the best for you, even if it meant sacrificing the best for them. That's That's really, I think, what improv is. It's just... And that's why, like, I, I love our community of improvisers. I, our team is just the best. We had a happy hour last week virtually, and I never, my cheeks hurt. I had two sips of red wine, and I was like, I felt buzzed, okay? And that's not just because I'm a lightweight. It was legit because they just make you laugh. And they're just, they, and that, I always say this too, like, I think I'm almost like the ringleader of the clown car at the circus because they all guessing at each other so much when we're together. It's just, it's not people trying to be funny. It's, I mean, they are funny human beings. They're hilarious, but it's, they want to say something to make the other person look good. And then that person says something and then it just, it stacks. It's just this stack of bits. And it's just, you just going on road trips when we travel together, is so fun and you come home exhausted <laughs> because you're on the whole time but it's because you tr like people truly love each other and people we have um, a sister city in charlotte north carolina where we have five improvisers there we have um 17 here in chicago and those two had never met before those two cities which is crazy but 
it was like we were all one big happy family when everybody got on Zoom. Everyone in Chicago knows each other. And then they just welcome Charlotte with open arms. And it was so cool to see. Because when I go down to Charlotte, it feels just like the community we have here. Because we that's, I think, what improv breeds is this playing ground for adults to have each other's back, create a supportive environment, and just give to each other through communication and laughter. Well, so something you said there about yes and I think is important too, which is, you know, it's not about specifically saying yes to the things that right. people are saying to you. It's just about not shooting them down, right? It's about accepting the things that they say. And so I think I, I think about my group of friends a lot. And, you know, you you start in college, you meet a group of guys or girls, right? You all click and then over time girlfriends start coming into the mix, you know, they become wives and, and, and that can really change a dynamic. But I always talk with my group of friends about how great everybody's significant other is because one, because they are great, but two, because I think we have, are also accepting of each other that that creates a very accepting environment for their significant others to come in. And so it, and then it allows them to be themselves and it, there's no BS and now everybody's just getting along. And so you can take people from different cities or different groups, or it, if you're a business from different departments and if you fostered the right culture, you should be able to put them together. They have conversations and, and it all just clicks. So I, th I think that's, that's a misconception. I think maybe not a misconception. It's just something, a connection. I don't think people make when they think of improv and they think of business is like, Oh, well, yes. And like, that's a, that's an improv trick. That's a comedy trick, but it's not, it's really a relationship trick, right? Yeah. And you, yes. And all day, you're absolutely right. You don't have to say like in level a of improv, you are taught to say yes. And in a scene. And then over time that disappears, it's a rule that always exists because if you're on stage and you negate somebody, number one, it makes that scene partner feel bad. But number two, you have nowhere else to go. And the scene, it, it kind of just shuts down the whole scene. So it becomes a thing where you don't, you don't have to say yes and, but you just need to not shut down the other person's ideas. So, and that's exactly, we always say this in our workshops too, that yes and doesn't even mean you have to agree with what's being said. It just means that you have to take what was just said before you and accept it and, and say, thank you. Thank you for that. It's essentially telling that person, thank you for sharing your idea. I'm going to add something to it. So for example, like if you were my manager in business and I went to you and I was like, O'Brien, oh, I have this really great idea for um, a back to work party. Okay. It's going to be really late in 2020. And um, I got a PowerPoint put together for you. I've like gone through procurement. I've gotten all types of quotes. I'm so excited to share it with you. And you said, I don't have time. It's not going to work. We're not going back to work this year. First of all, I would feel super sad because number one, I want to party. Number two, you've just shut down my ideas, right? And so I probably wouldn't go back to you with another idea. However, if you did the same thing, I said the exact same thing to you and your response was, oh, okay, well, I don't really have time today. Could you look at my calendar for next week and schedule some time then? You're still, you're still hearing me and saying, thank you for putting together this plan, but you're not negating me in that moment. And even when you meet with me, you may not even want to do my 
party planning idea. It may be too crazy. We may not have a budget, but at least I felt heard. And you can tell me that in that conversation. Hey, we don't really have a budget right now. I really appreciate you putting this together. Let's find another creative project for you to work on. So it's not saying your idea sucks. I never told you to do that. Why are you planning a party during work hours? It's thank you. I want to redirect you in a different way. Yeah. I, I love that. I just think that's so important to be giving that positive energy back and then redirecting, not just shooting somebody down. Yeah. And we all true. struggle. We all struggle with that, right? It's, it's easy when you hear an idea, it's easier to say no than it is to say yes, right? You hear something and you just go, no, we're not going to do that. You can make a no decision pretty quickly, but to react saying no, 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 no to all the things that aren't good ideas, you wind up getting no good ideas because you're just stifling everything. Right. I, I, I know times where you and I have been in situations where we've heard those no's a lot, not going to say when, but in a business context and, um, it sucks. Like I didn't want to show up anymore. I was yeah. just over it, you know? And so I think that's what happens in a work environment is when people hear no, I mean, they, they don't want to produce, they don't want to show up. And it's just because the way they're being led is mismanaged. And, and oftentimes, you know, it's not somebody trying to be an asshole. It's somebody trying to be efficient. Right. right? I, I think, I mean, I, I know I can be guilty of that, right? If you stack up a bunch of tasks for me to do, I get into this go mode and I, you know, the, uh, the soft corners come off and I start to get some sharp elbows and I just, I just want to ratchet through all that stuff. And it can be really easy if somebody sticks their head in, in the middle of that and goes, Hey, what about X, Y, Z idea? Just to be like, Nope. And then move on. And I'm not even paying attention that I just shot that person down. And so that's something I've worked on over the last couple of years for sure, just to be aware and trying to really listen to everybody. And, and really that's what that is too, right? We talked about listening at the beginning. It's, it's listening so that a person feels heard mm -hmm. and then you can get to a yes or no that's appropriate. Totally. It, it is, it is really just giving that person the authentic, like the authentication that they have come to you with an idea and thanking them because exactly what you said, sometimes we get in go mode and it's easy. It's easy to say no. But if you just, even in that moment, were like, Hey, Thank you so much. I'm so busy right now. I don't have time to talk about this this week. I'm going to get through this list. Can we talk in a week or two, put some time on my calendar? Honestly, it's just redirecting it. And that person still feels thanked for coming to you with a solution and or a new idea. So it's, it really is, I think it's easy to do. We just don't do it because sometimes it's not in our nature. And if you make it a part of your culture, then it becomes second nature. And that's what we do. Yeah. We help make it a part of company's culture. You have we to have practice it. You have to practice. Totally. Totally. American Marketing Association, for example, they, um, I've worked with them for years and they did this whole rebrand of their internal organization. Yes. And because of our relationship is a part of their core values and they live it. They breathe it. They have these yes and cards at their desk and it's totally changed the way that they operate internally and potentially with their, their members. So I can only speak to the internal side because that's what we worked with them on, but it is, it is a game changer. That's great. I love that. So I want to uh, pivot a little bit. 
uh, take us in a little different direction because I, I want to be respectful of your time today too. And we are in the midst of a pretty tough situation right now, right? As I said at the beginning, we're about four and a half weeks into the nationwide, really global lockdown, uh, you know, quarantine that we've gone into. And a lot of workforces, uh, I mean, a lot of workforces are really struggling and people have been laid off and uh, other other companies are considering furloughs. The companies that can have gone virtual as much as possible. I know my organization uh, is 100% virtual right now. How can people use this stuff to be effective in communicating with their colleagues? And I, I think maybe to hear your perspective from, from two places. One, if you're a leader, how can you use this stuff to really be making, to really be connecting with your people? And then if you're just a, you know, frontline worker, or if you're, you know, even if you are a leader, but you have peers and leaders above you, you know, how, how do you interact with those people? And how can you use that so that you're additive to the business right now and not just sitting on your hands or worse, you know, bringing things down? Oh, I'll be. I'm about to get <laughs> fired up. All right. All right. Let's start with the leader piece first. Okay. Okay. So that was a okay. lot packed into one question. That so was a lot, but I got you. I got right. you. Okay. So, all right. I think first and foremost, and I have said this and I truly mean it. Who has two thumbs and never thought there would be a world where you couldn't have in-person events? This girl. For those of you who aren't watching, I pointed at myself. Anyway, um, I will say this. Like none, no in-person events. None. You can't yeah. leave your house. There yeah. is not a contingency plan for this, okay? There's a force majeure in my agreements. This is it. This is the act of God, okay? This is nuts. Um, so I think that I take this responsibility of being a leader super, super to heart. I think... Um, when you ask people to work for you and your business or work for you and your team, you are taking on a responsibility to not only be a part of their livelihood, to be in charge of their livelihood, but to take care of this person. And they are trusting you to make wise decisions, to show up and to, to just deal with it, right? Like there's days, I'm not going to lie to you through all of this. I wanted to lay in bed and just binge Shit's Creek and not move. And I, <laughs> I couldn't do it. <laughs> I wanted to, but I was just thinking about my team and I was like, I'm going to be fine, but I can't sit here and not do anything. I, I've never worked harder in my entire life than I have this past month. And I, I mean that, like I even think back to like starting Improve It and how much work and time that was. And I was working nine to five and building this business on top of it and working nights and weekends and doing comedy. And so it was, I feel like I'm in that stage again. And now I just have a different um, priority, which is my son. So it's like, you know, it's just as a leader, I think it's super important to yes and your team but to really yes and yourself and to show your team that you, you will show up and you will show them the way. And that's, I think, through this, I, I you know, we are an in-person business and I saw the wheels coming off the plane. Um, I don't know if that's a metaphor. I just made that up. Um, but I saw, I saw this thing going down in the beginning of March. 
And I was like, all right, we're just going to keep watching the news, keep watching, see what happens. And then we had people postponing. We had events that we were supposed to be in Washington for and Atlanta get canceled and postponed. And then just everything started to trickle down and you could just see the world starting to stop. And as a leader, I think you just have to step up and say yes to yourself, yes to your team. And then that and is really just doing the work. It's just the yes is I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. Let's do this. And the and is I got you and showing them that support. Um, so is, I just want to interrupt there for a second. So what is showing that support look like in a virtual yeah. world? In a ver yeah. So great, great question. It's showing your face on zoom. It's not saying, you know, staying over email. It's not, I mean, I literally got on a zoom call and I had tears running down my face and I told my small internal team, because we have facilitators and those are contract employees and they're still part of our family. But I'm talking about my internal team whose salaries, benefits, health insurance, all that's through Improve It. And I got on there and I showed them my face and I showed them the, you know, concern that I had. And also the, what I said to them was like, this is the team that's going to get through this. So I need your support. So it's the, the showing up is, not hiding behind email, not hiding behind the phone. There's so much technology like we're doing right now where you can see humans' faces. And that's the most important thing. And then asking them, how are you, is also another way to show up. Instead of jumping right into the business, I make a point to start every meeting, especially those first few weeks with, how are you? Let's talk about it. I want to hear how you are. And then getting into what we need to talk about. It's just... It's really FaceTime is really what it is in a virtual environment. It's showing, I mean, I get so jazzed when I have a webinar or a virtual workshop now because I'm like this extrovert pent up in a cardboard box. Basically, that's what it feels like because we live in Chicago in a, in a downtown condo with a lot of people inside right now. So it's just, it's exciting to see faces. So I think it's really just showing up and showing your face to your team and just being authentic. And I let them know I was scared. I was afraid, but I, I was letting them know that, or I let them know that I did not, you know, I wasn't going to rest till we had a solution. We had a pivot plan. And I will be honest in saying our first pivot plan was a fail. I mean, it did not work the way we anticipated it. So then it was a very reactionary plan. I got strategic and we came up with a plan that was thoughtful and would benefit not only people and our community right now, but also help us do what we do best, which is shine light, positivity, and help people learn how to navigate this remote workforce. So we got, we do a weekly webinar for free. We do that for our community. We created this online membership program. We started doing virtual workshops. We took our most popular offering, effective communication, and we changed it to effective communication in a virtual environment. And it, it's beautiful. It, it works great. And it, and I'll tell you what, we had a client who for years was like, you guys need to do virtual workshops. We have offices globally. And I told them it won't work. No, I literally was the no, the naysayer. Oh no. And then, oh no. Not you. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'll tell you what, 
I ate some crow and he did the workshop and he was like, I was wondering what it would be like if it was like the in-person and he was, he said, it's just like it. And he told me that I owed him a lot of money. So, <laughs> so anyway, um, you might owe him your business, your whole business after this is over. I know I, we've talked a lot about that. I, I owe him something. Yeah. So anyway, that I would say as a leader, it's yes. Ending yourself first because you have to give yourself the support to continue, especially when something like this happens. Your second question was, how do you yes and? Your colleagues. Your colleagues. So, it, you know, it's one thing if you're the leader and you, or, or even your boss too, I guess. So it's one thing if you're the leader and you are, you're responsible for reaching out to somebody else, right? You're responsible for the well-being of your team. It's, it's, can be natural to kind of protect them, check in with them. But what about the rest of the organization? Like how, how do you apply this stuff now to your peers, your colleagues, and then even to your own bosses where you might feel like, you know, reaching out, asking how they're doing might be overstepping. Mm. Uh So I always say like what you said, I think you said this in the very beginning. We always say in a world that feels out of control, you can control two things. And it's your attitude and your effort. So I don't think by, I think by showing up to your colleagues and giving them a ray of light and positivity and asking them how they're, how they are is definitely not overstepping. It's just being a good human being. Um, And the effort piece is really about just putting yourself in situations like this where you may not feel as comfortable. Some people may hate video conference and hate the way they look on camera. Well, minimize yourself and just look at the person and show up and and be present. And I think that's really, as colleagues right now, the way that we can yes and each other is really just by being a positive light for other people and then putting in the effort and the work to show up when needed. And not necessarily even showing up when needed, asking, can I show up? Asking, can I support you? And showing up in different ways. That's beautiful. I Write that it. down. Write that down. Tweet. Thank God we're recording <laughs> this, right? <laughs> Tweetable. Tweetable. Why am I screaming in a microphone? I'm going to have to go back and cut that segment out. That's great. Um, well, uh, again, I want to be respectful of your time. This has been fantastic. I do have a couple questions as I am playing around with this format that I wanted to ask. I just think are interesting general business questions that I want to get people's take on. Uh, the first one is, in your mind, what is the purpose of business? Oh, well, I think it's number one, who do you serve? Why? I think it's serving people look at that people business, serving people, providing something that the world needs in an authentic way that builds trust over time. Webster, call me. I'll put it in the dictionary. There you go. If it's, if that's Mm -hmm. not what's written in Webster right now, Mm -hmm. we're going to have to get their people on the line and and rewrite that. Mm -hmm. Um, What, business beliefs or or what beliefs about business do you have that might be counter to the general sentiment out there right now? Hmm. That's a good question. I think that I'm a super relationship builder. 
I cannot stand dealing with inauthentic people. <laughs> Don't tweet that. But I, I truly, I think about the fact that we're a service-based business and I try to treat clients and potential clients and people that are colleagues with respect. And I try to give, I, I just try to service the crap out of them. I just think about their needs and what they want and try to mitigate them. And then, well, not mitigate them. I try to think about them before they ask for them and then give them the best that we could possibly do. So I think for me, the title of this podcast, People Business, is exactly, I mean, that's what I'm in. It's the business of people. So if I'm not being a trustworthy leader, if I'm not being a person who is true to their word and tries to do everything I can for the people that we serve, then what what do I have? Why do I have a business? So I think the real, the piece of business that bothers me and that I think that I, you didn't ask what bothers me, but I'm telling you, um, I think that it's truly when I feel on the other side, if I'm, a, if I am a client and I feel like I haven't been given the service that I would give somebody else, or I haven't been given the thought that we put in, it's frustrating. So I think for me, it's just being really thoughtful of about the people that we serve and keeping it, keeping it authentic and less transactional. Because as we all know, people want to work with people they trust. And if you don't trust people, then they're not going to buy from you. So it's, it's like, it, to me, it's just building trust, authentic relationships. And some of my best, like some of my best friends started off as our clients, truly. Like I have so many great friends because we've worked together in some capacity. And so it's just really about connection authenticity, authenticity, not authenticity, authenticity. Don't tweet that widgets. And, um, well, I hope that service is not uh, counter to the way most people feel. I hope that is something that people are out there doing. Um, but I, I love everything that you just said. So last question is really just any final thoughts that you want to share or any places that you want to point listeners to where they can learn more about you, what you do, um, and what you might be able to do for them. Okay. This is funny because in the, this is funny business and people business. Um, we are changing our website URL very soon. So in the next couple of weeks, I'm not sure when this will air. We are currently at improveitchicago.com, but because we have now entered into new cities, we have changed the URL to, uh, learn to improve it. That's learn to improve it. Learn to improve it.com. Um, because we are now in Charlotte, North Carolina, and this year we are expanding to Atlanta, Georgia. We also are on social media at learn to improve it is our new URL. And I just created a podcast myself called the failed it podcast that will be launching tomorrow. So while this podcast is going to air, Another one will be launching. Which means that it will have already launched. By the time we put this up, uh, that podcast will be out there. And what's the name of it again? The Failed It Podcast. You have to fail in order to improve. There you go. Put that on Twitter. Tweet. Aaron, 
thank you so much. Uh, you are a great friend. You're a great guest. I look forward to being uh, a great neighbor. And uh, I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm very excited for People Business. Thank you. Hey, folks, one last thing before you go. If you have a friend or colleague who you think would enjoy this episode, hit that little share button and send it their way. Also, if you like the episode, make sure to hit subscribe so you don't miss the next one. That's it. Thanks for coming. I'm O'Brien McMahon. Go make the most of your business and the people in it.